Tuesday, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. There's a lot happening in Congress during this last week of February. Yesterday, the House passed the Equality Act, which would ban discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Lawmakers are still trying to hammer out a new COVID relief bill, and the Senate continues its confirmation process for nominees to President Joe Biden's forming cabinet. Here to talk about the news out of Washington this week is Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township who represents Michigan's 5th District in Congress. Uh, Dan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's good to be back. So before we get into some of the news, uh, we really want to hear about the relaunch of the PFAS task force last month and what you hope it might accomplish this term. Well, thank you for that. And this is a group of a bipartisan group of members of Congress that I formed uh, a couple of years ago with Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. The entire goal was to work across the committees, across the partisan aisle, to educate members on the dangers of PFAS and try to organize, you know, as much as we can, a unified approach to legislate to protect the American public from the dangers of this terrible family of chemicals. We relaunched it because while we have had some success, we've got a lot more work to do. And and the one thing I will say, this term... Um, while we will continue to legislate, we will have an administration and an environmental protection agency, more specifically, with the intent of working with us on this to try to find ways to mitigate the damage that PFAS has done and to try to prevent more damage from from happening. So we'll have more of an opportunity with this administration to work directly with them to use the authority that they already have rather than have to legislate everything. So it's a, it's a, you know, an opportunity, and it's something that we're we're embracing. Hmm. So so far, the Biden administration has said it wants to put more focus on PFAS chemicals. How, how hopeful are you that the administration will be serious about this? Uh, pretty hopeful, actually. You know, I've had you know even before uh, President Biden was sworn in, I had a lot of discussion with the transition team to try to put together what we thought the most you know appropriate approaches were. And so they do seem willing to use the authority that Congress has already granted them. You know, for example, they have broad authority to promulgate rules and standards regarding environmental challenges. So we think, for example, moving ahead on a clean drinking water standard makes sense, Hmm. that that we can set a level uh, that is not just looking the other way, the way it has been with a, a health advisory. We can actually set an enforceable level for clean drinking water. That's one step. Now, we'll still want to legislate these things because no administration lasts forever. Unfortunately, PFAS does. So we're not going to just let it go at that, but we'll be able to get more action more aggressively and more quickly with an administration that shares our views on this hmm. issue. So, So there has been a lot of debate and argument, bitter argument in some cases, about uh, this Equality Act, which passed the House uh, yesterday and faces a pretty stiff uphill battle uh, in the Senate. First of all, talk about what this act will do and what it means that the House uh, actually passed it yesterday. 
Yeah, I mean, it, in, in, interestingly enough, the Equality Act is <clears throat> is actually quite simple in its basic form. It's, it just says that the promise of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which banned discrimination on the basis of race, will be extended on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. So you can no longer get fired if this passes for being uh, a member of the LGBT community. Right now in Michigan, you can. You can't be evicted from housing on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. A lot of people are surprised to learn that in 22 states in this country, including Michigan, you still can face legal discrimination in the workplace, in housing, in other public accommodations on the basis of your gender identity or sexual orientation. This would outlaw that. And, you know, again, our biggest case to make is to convince people that those protections are not already in place, that the Supreme Court action, for example, on on marriage didn't extend to workplace or housing or the other aspects of American society. Our legislation will. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me is that the pushback to this kind of move, which we've been talking about now for, for quite some time, and of course the, the, the marriage ruling from the Supreme Court gave some momentum to the idea that this was the next frontier in in LGBTQ uh, and other gender kinds of equality. Uh, but the pushback is that somehow this will force people to accept uh, things, uh, lifestyles, uh, choices that they don't want to accept. And that, that really is looking at this through an upside-down prism. I mean, uh, this is about preventing uh, preventing discrimination against right. people who face it every day, by the way. I mean, this is not a, an imagined set of uh, restrictions that people face or, or consequences that people face. Every day, people lose their housing or they lose jobs because of who they are. Uh, but but the, the, the casting of this as somehow forcing uh, the, the, this belief on people who, who think differently is just, I mean, it's not just absurd. It's just flat out wrong. It's false. Yeah, That's the issue. You know, this doesn't say to anyone that they have to change the way they live their lives or love somebody different than they love right now. All it says is that the way people live their lives is up to them so long as they don't get to dictate to someone else how they live their life. I mean, the, the idea of equality is such an interesting concept, but I think when you really think about it and look at it, there is no equality that is not universal. Otherwise, it's not equality. Uh, we don't have equality until everybody gets to share in it, and that means people um, who, who are different than you might be, I might be. People, you know, in, in the case of the LGBT community, based on how they see themselves, who they are intrinsically, and who they love, shouldn't be dictated to them by somebody else who's, who's maybe different than them. I mean, that's fundamentally what we're trying to do here. And part of the problem we've had, and I was part of the debate on the floor of the House yesterday on this legislation. It's a, it's a bill that I was an original co-sponsor of. I'm co-chair of much of the equality work here, one of the vice chairs of the Equality PAC here, in, in, uh, or board member of the Equality PAC here. So this has been an important issue to me. So I was, I was involved in it. But 
the interesting thing was to hear some of the um, response. It's really about people trying to impose their personal religious beliefs on others, Mm -hmm. which again, while those may be very strongly held views, and I would defend forever the right to hold that view, equally I have to defend against people who want to impose those views on someone else. That is contradictory to the, the basic tenet that this country was founded upon, and that's freedom. Right. Freedom and equality are not just words. They're actual, they're, they are principles that we have to live, not just say. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. And many of the arguments that were advanced ring frighteningly familiar to the arguments that were advanced back in 1964 when mm-hmm. the Civil Rights Act was mm-hmm. being debated in that very, very same room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was the point that I made in my speech on the, on the bill yesterday. And, of course, this faces a, a real fight in the Senate, despite the fact that Democrats have at least nominal control of, uh, of, of that chamber. It's a reminder that just because Democrats are in the majority doesn't mean that all of the things that many Democrats believe should happen are going to be possible. It's a party that has members who span a pretty wide range of the political, of the political spectrum. It's, it's, it's a fight in some ways, among Democrats to try to get this passed. It really is. You know, of course, we have the, mo- the narrowest of all possible margins of the Senate with 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and Vice President Kamala Harris breaking any tie. Mm-hmm. So it starts, any legislation starts with the idea that if the Republicans are not a part of this, we need all 50 Democrats to be of one mind and then have the Vice President break the tie. That's it. That's, that's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to t- actually do, because as you said, the Democratic Party is not monolithic. There are a variety of views. I think, obviously, generally speaking, we are the party advancing these principles. Mm-hmm. I mean, we passed this bill in the House yesterday with all Democrats and three Republicans joining us, three courageous Republicans, by the way, joining us. That gives you a sense that while these principles might be broadly held by the American people. That is not manifest in the United States Congress. We, we see this on a lot of issues where the Republican leadership and the Republican membership of Congress are more conservative, less willing to embrace some of these concepts as the people they represent, even the Republicans they represent. I mean, corporate America supports this. You know, so this is one of those cases where the formal Republican Party has to catch up with where the Republicans in this country really are. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Congressman Dan Kildee, Democrat from Flint Township. He represents Michigan's 5th District in Congress. We're talking about what's going on in Washington, a number of newsworthy things happening there, including the ongoing debate over the COVID relief bill. Uh, We were just talking about the Equality Act, which passed the House yesterday and now faces a fight in the Senate to become uh, approved by Congress and then sent to the president's desk for signing. Uh, We're also going to talk a little about what's going on in Flint, the ongoing effort there to bring justice to the people of Flint after the horrific water crisis caused by uh, government officials. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. What questions do you have for Congressman 
Dan Kildee. What do you hope Congress is going to prioritize in 2021? Uh, tell us what you're expecting out of COVID relief, which still is trying to take shape uh, on the Hill and on its way to the president's desk as well. Some things falling out of it, some things coming into it. Uh, we still don't know what final shape that's going to take before President Joe Biden uh, gets his hands on it. Uh, also, give us a call and let us know what you think of Congress uh, or the House in Congress passing the Equality Act, which uh, provides protections, sweeping protections against discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. It amends the 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, to broaden the tent of protections for people uh, in our country. Do you think that's a good idea or are you somebody who thinks that is uh, going too far uh, with civil rights legislation? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the conversation. Uh, Dan, I, w- I want to talk about COVID relief and uh, the bill that's uh, the, that's still trying to take shape. Uh, the Senate parliamentarian determined yesterday that a $15 minimum wage provision is not going to be allowed in the bill. There's a lot of people I know who are quite disappointed about that, again, because uh, they presume that because Democrats are in the majority in both houses of Congress, this this should be a no-brainer. This, this idea of raising the minimum wage to $15 really aligns with what most people think of as uh, Democratic principles. Uh, talk about where we are with, uh, with that debate. Yeah, the problem was that because we're using a budget reconciliation process, which mm-hmm. is just a process issue that limits what we can do in legislation to matters that are principally budgetary. That's why the parliamentarian ruled that the $15 minimum wage was not enough of a budgetary issue. It was more of a general policy issue. That was not all that unexpected, although it was disappointing for sure. Mm. So that, that won't be uh, included. But the, the other elements... Uh, when the, the Senate will, of course, take this legislation up after we pass it today, uh, the other elements could change, but I don't think dramatically. Our expectation is the $1.9 trillion package with its basic architecture, its basic uh, priorities, will pass the Senate and come back to us maybe in a slightly different form. We'll take it up in the week of March 8 and get it to the president's desk. You know, this will help a lot of Americans who are struggling. It'll help a lot of small businesses, especially, that are trying to figure out if they can hang on. And it will accelerate reopening of schools mm-hmm. and, importantly, give more support to states and communities with vaccine distribution. I mean, these are things that we feel pretty strongly about. Also extends unemployment to the end of August so that the federal supplemental unemployment benefit, which is really keeping a lot of Americans from losing everything they've worked for. That will remain, you know, we get into the summer, we get more people vaccinated, it feels more like normal. It's gonna be a while until we're back to real normal, but we think this gets us through a lot of the immediate trouble that COVID has caused. Then we have to talk about what we need to do in the long term to rebuild our economy. I think infrastructure is gonna be the next big piece, but this is an important step. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to 
actually, actually, before we get to the phones, uh, quickly, Dan, I want to I want to get your reaction to what's going on in Flint. Uh, uh, Governor Rick Snyder's legal team made headlines this week saying, quote, neglecting a city is not a crime. I, I, I really want to get your your reaction to that before we uh, before we go to listeners. I know how how hard you have worked to try to bring justice to people in Flint. I thought this was a pretty, um, again, tone deaf and, and amazing. But 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 the governor, the former governor has been in that space the whole time on this issue. And that's been that's been the problem. It has been. And, you know, just just as a preface, I have had a policy for all the time I've been in public office to not prejudge any criminal case. No matter who the defendant is, my view is everyone deserves their day in court. And I'm not going to predict whether someone's innocent or guilty. I think the system, with its flaws, should do that. However, there are occasions when I make an exception, and this is one of them. The idea, the very notion that this kind of defense is being advanced has to be challenged because in the abstract, somebody could say, well, yeah, neglecting a particular area of public policy, that shouldn't be a crime. That's not what happened here. This is where the state of Michigan and all of its principal leaders knew that the lead was in the water, knew that it would have a negative impact on the lives of people in Flint, had it within their power to do something to stop that, and chose not to. Mm-hmm. That kind of neglect, that's just not being over, uh, you know, overly conservative or believing that it's not their responsibility. In this case, it was a specific set of facts. And when you have the opportunity to save people from harm and the responsibility to act in order to do that by law, the idea that not doing so is the kind of neglect that you can equate to, well, that's just not my policy priority. That's nonsense. And that needs to be challenged right up front. So I think if that is going to be former Governor Snyder's defense, I hope that a court will kick that notion right out and they'll have to try whatever this case is on true facts and not some sort of conjecture Mm. that this was just a policy difference. Neglecting a city that is having harm done to its children when you have the ability to stop that harm, to me, that does rise to the level of criminal activity. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, Adam on the east side. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing today? Good. How are you? All right. I have one issue with the Equality Act. Okay. Okay. And I'm not a homophobe by any means. I believe people have the right to love who they want to love and be who they want to be. But men should not be able to compete in women's sports. It's just something wrong with that. So you're saying that uh, I guess what you're referring to is is uh, is is transgender uh, sports participation and and how somebody who might have been born male and and uh, transitioned to female might then compete in female sports. You don't think that's fair? But see, some of them don't even transition. They still get all the man body parts. That's just not right. Men are bigger, stronger. I mean, so why not? Why 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 have a, a, a WNBA and the NBA? Why not just that all of them just compete against each other? Yeah. Adam, I, I I certainly appreciate the call, and I, I I'm certainly not somebody who thinks that there are are easy answers to any of these things. I think there there are lots of things we need to talk about and and, and figure out how they how they work. 
I, I don't see that as a central issue to this particular piece of legislation. I think here, uh, the the goal and and the, the the aim was to stop you know discrimination against. Uh, uh, people based on their 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 gender identity or sexual orientation. This was kind of a side issue, but but Dan Kildee, respond to what uh, what Adam's talking about here. Yeah, this is a point that that was raised over and over again during the debate yesterday. And and just to be clear, number one, this question is being addressed by the entities that deal with competitive sports, right. by the NCAA, by the AAU, by the high school athletic associations to determine in what case an individual who may have uh, transitioned uh, and, has, and, and, and identifies, um, you know, as, the, as a gender other than the gender they were assigned at birth, at what, in what case, in what circumstance that should allow those sorts of competition. And we think that's where it should be decided. Yeah. But here's the real, the real root of all this is that the opposition in Congress to the Equality Act is largely based on the religious beliefs, the adherence to a particular doctrine of some members of Congress, but they know they can't, only in a few cases do they actually use that argument, because they know constitutionally, most of them anyway know constitutionally, that argument falls apart real fast. Mm. And so they have used this idea of sports competition in the sort of end of male and female uh, sports as the stalking horse for their other arguments. And frankly, it's just not that big a question. Mm-hmm. They, the, the way it was described by some of the members of the House on the floor is that it would just result in the erasure of differences between men and women. That's just not happening. Yeah. You know, it, because someone identifies as a male or a female doesn't mean that everybody else is now going to start doing it. This is a really hard choice that a person ends up making after, in many cases, years of self-doubt, of self-hate. And the idea that we would turn that into something where people are doing it as an opportunity, that's that's just not fundamentally what's happening out there. I mean, I get the argument, but it's an argument based on these very limited exceptions that shouldn't make the rule, and it sure should not be used as an excuse to maintain the ability to discriminate on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation in all aspects of life, and yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Congressman Dan Kildy, Democrat from Flint Township, always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear about a brand new piece in the Atlantic's Inheritance Project. Staff writer Adam Harris writes about the historic riot in Utah, Alabama, and what it tells us about white supremacy's deep roots in America. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 